This is FBG Jen and FBG Kristen. And I'm FBG Margot, host and producer. You're listening to the podcast that will help you keep a lid on the junk in the trunk and inspire you to live a happy and confident life. Each episode, we chat with motivational experts and celebs and share our own candid adventures in being healthy. If you're looking for a podcast that's equal parts hilarious and enlightening, well then welcome to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. Welcome back to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. This is FBG Margot, and on the line today, we have FBG Jen. Hello, hello. And we have FBG Kristen. Hey. And once again, we have an Olympian. How do we attract so many cool people to this show? We have Silk and Loman, and she's just a fantastic interview. And and Kristen, I guess you and I always take on the Canadians, right? A, eh? we always have them. <laughs> we always do it together. <laughs> we do. So we do. Can you tell the audience a little bit about Silken before we start? Yeah, so she is, she's really like a household name um, in Canada. I, I was talking to a couple of my Canadian friends, and they're like, oh my gosh, yes, did you know this? And I'm like, as a matter of fact, I did know these things about her. So she's a rower, and she was really badly injured in a rowing accident 10 weeks before the 92 Olympics, and it like shattered her right leg, and she came back to win bronze. She's, you know, I mean, I, I we'll get into uh-huh. all of that in the, in her, in her interview, but the thing that, I mean, you guys, she is like the warmest, kindest mm-hmm. person. Um, you could just feel it through, you know, through the phone. She was just like exuded like love and joy everywhere. So it was it was really a wonderful conversation. I felt I just felt so happy after talking to her. She's one of those people like Kristen. Um, I was telling you, Jen, Kristen and I, before we even started the interview, we were connecting the Skype call and everything. And she just started asking questions about us. She's like, hey, Aww. so how'd you start the podcast? How's it going for you? I mean, just she's very mellow and kind. And it was just like, you, you know, just you felt like you ma- made a new friend that day or you had a really great session with a therapist, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, know, you just felt positive And she had such great yeah, advice. I- I think I invited her to hang out with me at the end. Oh, you did? Which is like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's like, she's a really big deal. She doesn't want to come play with me. But um, I just like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, you had this conversation and it just really felt like we had just been, you know, like I had met a friend out for, you know, for dinner and she was like, hey, do you mind if my friend Silken comes along? And, you know, it, it felt more like that than talking to somebody who's such a big deal, except you know, as she's talking about her life experience, and they're like, "Oh, you're a really big freaking deal." Yeah. Um, so the other thing is, um, in in her Twitter bio, she says that she is an optimist on human nature, which I thought was extremely telling about like who she is, and and it seemed very right. I had a feeling that you guys may have thoughts on that. Well, I could just tell you just from speaking to her and, and one of the things I loved about the interview and you guys definitely listen to this interview. She's great. But she talks about how she likes to compliment people to spread that really good energy. And, I, you know, I'm looking at our notes for today. And I don't know if you guys have seen this yet, but there's a movie coming out called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And everybody's talking about this trailer because it's all about Mr. Rogers. And yeah. if you can watch this for about one minute, it's about two minute long. If you can go through one minute without bursting into tears, you are far stronger than me. I mean, <laughs> you just talk about a kind, empathetic human being and just how much we need that in the world. Like, that's the kind of feeling. Like, she's kind of like a Mr. Rogers in that way. Just like, just she's just good and kind. And I just, I felt like that warmth from this interview. So that that's what I got from it. 
Well, that's kind of like the um, is it is that a is that a Mr. Rogers saying, or is it from someone else? It's like look for the helpers, like yeah, you know, Mr. when Rogers. bad stuff is going on. Yeah, it's like look for the helpers in any situation. I think that's like really be- beautiful. And there is a quote out of apparently there are so many life lessons in kids stuff. There's a quote in Muppets Take Manhattan. <laughs> which is like, <laughs> I mean, who doesn't love the Muppets, right? Like, they're fantastic. Um, but it's in the, so Kermit works in a little diner in Manhattan. How, how well do you guys know this movie? I love the Muppets. I love this movie. I, I don't, so okay. you're going to have okay, to explain. With me. It's great. So, of course, um, Kermit is in, well, actually, Miss Piggy starts working. It doesn't matter. Okay, they're in this diner in New York. And the owner of it. He says, um, in a very heavy accent, he's like, peoples is peoples. And that's something that we quote in my house all the time. Because it's kind of like, no matter where you've come from or what you've done or kind of like what you've been through, like peoples is peoples. And we're always just kind of doing the best that we can with what we've got. And so we always just try to keep that in mind, like that really like we're all the same and we're we're doing the best that we can what we've had have the other thing I always like to think about and there was this an amazing I think it was a commercial or some sort of video that went viral but it showed all these people I think it was in a hospital they were like you like go into the elevator and there's little subtitles it's like this person's going through this but this person's going through this this person's going through this um and things like you know you think that they you know everyone should act politely and whatever you know like all the time but like you kind of you never know what someone's going through so I really should keep that in mind because we don't always just wear our emotion or our issues or our past trauma like most of us wear sleeves and hurt people tend to hurt people so Mm -hmm. it usually comes from some so those are kind of my, I don't know. I agree. Yeah, I, think, I agree with her. I agree with that too. I, but I think sometimes injured people injure others. They just don't know what yeah. to do. Yeah. yeah. And you kind of have to remember that about somebody and give them a break or just, you know, not internalize sometimes so much what people say and do to us when it's negative because it could yes. be from them coming from something completely different and you couldn't even well, manage. Right. The other phrase I tend to use that goes so well with that is it's not about me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> like, a big one. That's not about me. That's about them. It's oh. not about me. I mean, sometimes, sometimes it is about you. You know, if like someone's setting a boundary, you're like, oh, where's my role in this? But usually it's not about, you know, if right. the world doesn't revolve around everything. And that is hard for me because in my mind, literally everything is about me. So this has mm-hmm. been, this is something that I have been working very hard on for quite some time now what up only children yeah well yeah you you know I'm I'm the oldest daughter so you know I've always had that sort of nurturing thing about me and your little brother and sister always are looking up to you and you should be looking out for them so I kind of have that little bit of me too like I have a I have a responsibility around me all the time and sometimes I have to be like no you're not responsible for everything you know sometimes you just gotta let Mm -hmm. things happen you know you can't control it yeah yeah boy we all have our stuff don't we (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Jen, like what what you were saying, I think um, one of the phrases I try to keep in mind is be kind. You don't know what battle um, yes. others are facing. Yep. And um, and I try very hard to remember that. But I will say like my often my default is not to assume the best about people. Right. Um, and I'm I'm trying to do better with that. And it's certainly if I meet someone through another person, I'm, of course, far more likely to assume the best about them mm-hmm. um, and assume that they have a good nature. But golly, I've been burnt by that a few times. And mm-hmm. so it, it's hard because I, 
you know, at the same time, I, I do tend to be pretty empathetic. And so I, I want to assume the best and I want to be open to what another person is bringing into my life and what they're bringing out into the world. But sometimes that comes in and it, you know, it's not what you want it to be. And I, I struggle with that a little bit with kind of setting that boundary of keeping myself like in a nice, safe place and then still being open to other people because that's how you connect. And so, you know, when you talk to somebody like Silken, it's really easy to be open and connect because you're like, oh, yes, everything coming from her is good. Mm -hmm. But there are others who you meet on a regular basis and it's it's not that way. So I think that I'm an optimist on human nature, but I'm optimistic that I will become more of one as I grow and, you know, kind of learn how to keep those those boundaries firm, but, you know, malleable, I guess. Well, it sounds like she had a big impact on you. Yeah, I thought she was great. And uh, I really think that all of you guys are going to love her, too. Yeah, so let's get right into it. She's fantastic. So everybody, here we go. It's Silken Lohman. In May 1992, just 10 weeks before the Olympic Games, Silken Lohman was injured in a brutal rowing accident that left her right leg shattered and useless. Reigning world champion in single skulls rowing, Silken was told by doctors she might never row again. 27 days, five operations, and countless hours of grueling rehabilitation later, Silken was back in her shell, ready to pursue her Olympic dream. When the starter's pistol rang out on August 2, 1992, Silken made the greatest comeback in Canadian sports history, winning the bronze medal for Canada and capturing the hearts of a nation. This four-time Olympian is one of Canada's most inspirational leaders, a best-selling author, and a highly recognizable and beloved athlete. As an elite athlete, a mental health and child advocate, a speaker, writer, and life coach, Silken has made her work reaching her own potential and helping others reach theirs. She's here today to talk about how to overcome injuries and body issues, plus how she likes to start each day. Welcome to the show, Silken. I'm happy to be here. Well, we're thrilled to have you. This is FBG Margo, and on the line today, we have FBG Kristen. Hey, guys. So we're just going to take turns asking you questions, and Silken, I'm going to ask you the first one. Your achievements are so inspiring, and you personally overcoming incredible setbacks to Olympic glory. I mean, can you tell us a bit about what is your background that makes you so persistent and resilient? And as a follow-up, do you have any advice for people in our audience who are dealing with an injury right now? Yeah, well, it's a good question, you know, how do any of us get where we are in our life and and, and, you know, to try to break down and, and single out um, one experience in our life that taught us, taught us that persistence is hard to do. But I will say that I think early in my life, I had lots of obstacles. Um, I um, couldn't read until grade four. And I think that made me quite determined at school and, and um, wanting to, you know, prove that I could do it. And, and I think the, the fact that my mom had an undiagnosed mental illness and I was, um, you know, wrestling with that instability at home, lots of love, lots of creativity in the house, but also lots of instability. I mean, I think all of those things made me into a pretty self-determining tween and teenager, which kind of, you know, as I came into adulthood, those, those characters were, those characteristics were pretty strongly formed in myself, you know, and then I got into sport. And I mean, I think sport is just, 
um, such an incredible avenue for learning life skills, you know, like getting dumped into the river, like the first summer that I rode. I mean, the very first summer that I learned to rode, I literally tipped my boat over 20 times, which is actually a world record. Like, <laughs> and, and I, you know, so like, I feel like I learned like lessons super early in my life and, and, and like knowing that failure is part of our eventual success because so many of us take failure and we make it mean something that it doesn't mean, right? It's like, rather than saying, oh, I just tipped the boat, you know, oh, I'm not very good. I'm never going to have what it takes. And fighting that inner voice and learning to fight that inner voice early, I think, was super helpful in later in my life having these huge goals like having an accident 10 weeks before the Olympic Games. Mm-hmm. Gosh. So I, like, I think the second part of your question, which was, like, how do people deal with injuries? I mean, every athlete, I think any of us who work out regularly, we hate injuries, right? Right. You you have your goals, whatever they are, and uh, injuries sidetrack us, and and it always feels so ultimate, like, when you go from working out every day to not being able to work out um, at all sometimes for a while. And so what what I have noticed uh, in my life, and I just had major foot surgery again 14 months ago, and I had three months where I was non-weight-bearing. Oh, my gosh. And, 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 you know, I had just finished doing, you know, my little uh, long-distance triathlon, and, you know, I was in really good shape when I had surgery. And I just looked at it as an opportunity to focus on other things in my life for a while because, you know, staying active and staying fit can take a long, a big part of, big part of our day. You know, it can take a couple hours a day. And I thought, well, I'll still, you know, I'll still do whatever I can. And at that time, it was just some stretching and a little bit of upper body work. And I used that other time to read a little bit more and to visit with friends a little bit more. And I try to look at those breaks as kind of gifts. Uh, an opportunity to explore a different side of myself. I can't tell you how much I love that um, because I'm, I'm coming off an injury and the thing that everyone has said to me is, um, you know, Oh my God, how are you dealing with not being able to do all of your regular stuff? Are you going insane? And, you know, and I'm like, it's, it's not been easy. You know, I would certainly prefer to be doing all of my normal activities. Um, yeah. But yeah, it has kind of opened up some um, some options where I yeah. do have a little more time for other things, which is not a terrible thing overall. Well, yeah. And I think, you know, when, um, when you've worked out as long as I have, I mean, I've worked out pretty well most of my life since I was 11 years old. And I'm, I, I'm now in my early 50s. And you start to get a long-term view of health and fitness and wellness and really recognize it's not what you do over a three-month period. It's not what you do even over a year. It's what you do over your lifetime Mm -hmm. that has the greatest impact. And, you know, you build on, um, you know, you build on different areas uh, of your fitness. You might have a focus on aerobics for a few years and, and then and then move more into strength training and, and, and there's these sort of cycles that we go through but overall the main thing is that we're challenging our bodies, that we're, you know, enjoying movement, um, that we're, you know, keeping our bodies strong and pliable and you can have those periods of time where either you're injured or, you know, work or kids or like whatever it is takes over and it takes a bigger piece of our life. And that's, that's just life. Yeah. 
It is. Um, so speaking of life, you are not just this, you know, amazing unparalleled athlete. You're also a speaker and a life coach and an author and an advocate. And um, so I'm curious, how do you balance that? And I wondered, like, does each aspect of that kind of take the spotlight at different times, like you were just saying, or do you really sort of spin all the plates all the time? Oh, I, I love what you just said. You know, does each aspect take the spotlight? That's a great way of looking at it because that's exactly what it is. You know, I, I just think we all, especially women, you know, we listen to each other's accomplishments. And, and you know, yes, I'm an Olympic athlete and I, I'm an advocate for, um, you know, um, young people and health and, and I do life coaching and I'm, I've always been an active speaker. I'm a writer. It sounds like, oh my God, right? But You're kind of impressive. Thank you. But I think we all are, right? And we, we do these things at different points in our life, right? So when my kids were young, I was mostly speaking and raising kids and, you know, that was, that was most of my life. And I, I did write a book in the middle of the night, (laughs) which is, I think, where most books get written when you have little kids. Um, But I also kind of, you know, I also pushed myself to the point of really crashing too. So I I learned the hard way um, that you can't have it all all at once. And and that was great advice I was given by um, a woman who was older than I was um, in, when I was in my twenties. And she said to me, "Silken, you can have it all. Like you really can have it all. You just can't have it all at once." And and so I love that idea that you've just presented, which is that there are times in our life when one aspect of our life holds the spotlight. And I've really, I've really, um, that really resonates with me. And that's what I have found true in my life. Obviously, when I was an athlete, it was so singularly focused, you know, every morning you wake up and you just think about your training and your, 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 I mean, you almost wake up with butterflies in the, in the morning because you know, the workouts are going to be so intense and you're pushing your body to the extreme and you go to bed exhausted every night and your body weighs 10,000 pounds because of a lactic acid. (laughs) And then you wake up the next morning and you do it all again. And, and that, that, you know, that's one part of life. And then of course, that changes and and then for me my kids were born almost straight away and and then that becomes a such a consuming focus because you're nursing and you're trying to work and you're still trying to sort of be fit and you know and and this is this is what real life is all about so we talked to sports psychologist amy baltzall and who's also an olympic rower for the states and she we were talking about what it takes to be an elite athlete you know, it's more than just the intense training schedule. You know, there's also a mindset on how you handle stress and the unknown. So can you give us your feelings about what it takes to be an, an athlete, an elite athlete? Is it equal parts mental and physical? Well, certainly, um, you know, for instance, to be a rower, it's really helpful to be tall um, because, you know, yeah. you don't see many five-foot rowers, you nope. know, um, and you, you don't see many six-foot gymnasts, so it's all fair in the end. <laughs> we, yep. we, get, we, we get to choose a sport that, you know, hopefully fits our body uh, ideally, and, and rowing seems to be a great sport for these tall, sometimes a little uncoordinated, you know, the ones that didn't make the basketball team or the volleyball team, <laughs> really good rowers so I think the physical piece is it's a huge part and um and very important but when you get to the world level I mean everybody has physical talent there there's 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 no question about that and it's the it is the mental uh that is so hugely important um 
that ability to be, you know, narrowly focused and um, uh, have that, I don't want to say positive because it's, it's, it sounds too Pollyannish, but to be focusing on what you want uh, rather than spending too much time on what you don't want. Um, to be able to handle the pressure. So, you know, a, a lot of that being able to handle the pressure is, you know, being at sort of some level of peace with yourself and, you know, making it so that whether you win or lose, it doesn't reflect on, you know, who you are as a human being, but it's, you, you still have that incredible competitive desire. So I think, like, when, when, when you watch the Olympics, and, of course, it's a great time to be talking about it because we just, the, the, the closing ceremonies were on, on Saturday, and, and you see those Olympians, and they're all talented, and they they're all work incredibly hard. But, you know, who has that edge? Who is willing to push that much harder? Who has learned to tolerate the pain? You know, it's certainly rowing. Rowing is a sport of pain, and and you know to be over to be overcome overcoming that lactic acid, that fatigue in your muscles, that you know burning in your burning in your lungs. That's that's mental skill. Yeah, I um I live in Sarasota, and we've got a uh, in Florida, and I'm friends with a few rowers, and some of them have I've run with, and they're like, oh yeah, rowing is a whole different level of being in the pain cave for like a long time and just accepting it. And once you can get your mind around that, a lot of the runs that we do don't seem like such a big deal, um, yeah, which I think yeah. is amazing because I think running is really hard. <laughs> yeah, and rowers are often not great runners either because they're bigger people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it is, and, and, and that's true. Like people will always ask, like at the elite level, how much is mental and how much is the physical? And, and you know, you, you can't really break it down to percentage because you have to have the physical, right? You, so you, sure. if you have half the physical, it's not enough. You've got to, you've got to have the, the physical ability. But I will say that, you know, every athlete at the Olympics has a physical ability. So then it comes down to who's got that stronger drive, who's got that stronger focus, who's willing to give up more in order to win, you know, who, who, who shows up in the starting gates, and maybe they're as nervous as heck, but they're still able to overcome those nerves and race the race that they need to, which is the Olympic final. And, you know, I, I'm so grateful for, for me that my, my career went on long enough. I, I, I raced at four Olympic Games that by the last two Olympic Games, uh, mentally, I was always there in those big races. I, I, I always knew and I could I got got to a point where I could rely on it, where I knew that I, I would have my mental game together. Wow. So let me ask you, since we're talking about the Olympics and just coming off of the Winter Olympics, so are there any sports that you really, really love watching as a spectator? And I'm also curious, just because you have, um, you know, been at a number of games, did you get to go and watch as a spectator when you were an athlete or did you have to focus so strongly on your own races that you couldn't even do that? Well, I'm so lucky in in, in my life in that that, um, because of my story here in Canada, I became a very high-profile Canadian, and and because of that, I've been invited back to many Olympics and have seen um, and and pretty well gone to any event that I that I've wanted to go watch. And and of course, I ha- I think like everybody, you have a particular interest in sports that either a lot like the sport you love um, or that you've actually done so like i i'm weirdly fascinated by the cross-country skiing in the winter olympics <laughs> because yeah. one i've cross cross-country skied but also i really get like when you do like the 50k you know i really get like how much these people are hurting and um you know in a way that i just don't get when i see the double skeleton like i look at the double skeleton i'm like that 
did that sport get invented when people were drinking? And they're like, <laughs> let's see if we put like two, pe- <laughs> you know, two people on the skeleton. What happens now? I'm sure the athleticism is unbelievable, and like the guts to go down, <laughs> you know, is like incredible. I see mind bug, but I can't, I can't relate to it in the same way because I've never done it, right? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I find like in the Winter Olympics, yeah, I'm attracted to things that somehow I can understand the athleticism of like, even though like the figure skating, I don't, I don't get it in that, like, I've never done anything even mildly graceful, (laughs) but, but I do appreciate, you know, what it's like to do a box jump, but I do appreciate what it's like to like, try to lift your body and how much core they, they must have in it. And I just appreciate the art artistry um, of the figure skating. So I'd say in the winter, yeah, it's the cross country skiing and the figure skating and the downhill skiing too. I mean, I think, like I watch them go from edge to edge and it just, just like blow, blows me away. Yeah. Um, and then in the summer, you know, again, it's sports that I don't really do, but I just understand the athleticism, like, you know, swimming. I love watching swimming mm-hmm. in the summer Olympics. They're always so exciting. Right. And um, Phelps, of course, has made swimming, um, you know, o- over, over a decade now, um, incredible to watch. And my, my son grew up on Michael Phelps and, you know, watched his first Olympics when he was six years old and is now, you know, is now a, a rower aspiring one day to make a national team. So it's kind of it's kind of cool too, like to see it through your kids' eyes. Oh, that's cool. So you've discussed in your memoir, Unsinkable, that you've struggled with body image and eating disorders, especially when you were a teenager. So I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that. Like, what's been key to your recovery for that? I think the thing about having an eating disorder is that maybe there's an aspect of it that you always have to be wary of like it's it's not unlike um you know if if you've had a problem with drinking in the past you know that there's certain environments that there's certain situations that you probably don't do well in so i don't do well when i'm around other people who have eating disorders or who are you know um artificially controlling their weight and I've kind of recognized that so what helped me a lot like I had my eating disorder I was like 15 you know when it when it started and it was a lot it was uh, it was about control and it was about living in a family situation that felt out of control my parents were divorcing at the time you know as I mentioned earlier my my mom had really erratic behavior and I think it seemed to me in my messed up way of looking at things that my weight was something I could control and I, I was obsessed with perfection. I, was, I wanted to be, you know, achieving in every area of my life. And somehow I got it twisted in my head that controlling my weight and controlling the way I looked um, was, was also, you know, something um, that was in my control. And which is pretty funny when you think about being 15, like your weight is actually not in your control because you're growing and changing and your body's changing. But I was desperate to have control over that piece of my life. And it caused me, it caused me so much pain and and so much grief. And when I think about the years that I wasted Mm -hmm. thinking about what I was going to eat and what I was not going to eat and how fat I was and you know, uh, the loathing, the emotions that came up. I mean, I'm so, so grateful this many years later to be free of it. Mm. And um, 
when I've reached places in my life where my life feels out of control and, and I think there's just sort of situational things that can happen in our lives. So for me, the last time I really struggled was at the end of my marriage, which was like, you know, 15 years ago. And uh, the, the eating disorder um, emerged again and I, mm-hmm. I, I had to kind of recognize it for what it was and do some counseling to, uh, to, move, to move beyond it. So I've recognized the triggers, which are usually intense amounts of stress and places in my life where my life will feel out of control. And as I said, you know, being around people um, who are uh, affected by um, active eating disorders today. Well, first off, let me just say that um, I I really applaud you for sharing your your story about this and being so outspoken and being an advocate because it's, um, you know, obviously eating disorders are incredibly prevalent. Um, but I think that you also bring a really interesting and helpful angle to it in that you talk a lot about how being a very strong elite athlete did not save you from having issues with body image. And, you know, so many of us can get caught up in watching our favorite athletes and, you know, we do see them as just being these like strong, amazing, capable women and men, but that doesn't mean that they're immune from, um, from negative self-talk and destructive behavior. So I, I wonder if you can, would you be able to maybe touch on things that we, and by we, I mean us, those of us who are, you know, strong athletes and also those of us who are around other strong athletes, what are things that we can do to better identify and help people with, um, you know, disordered body image or disordered eating? Oh, it's it's that, such a such a big question, isn't it? Yeah. And, and you know, I've had the pleasure of having you know three girls in my life. Um, I've got uh, my daughter Kate, and then um, two stepdaughters, and and my son. And I and I think. Like from a raising kids perspective, um, I was very aware that um, I, I was at the real risk of passing on some of my, um, you know, messed up views on my own body that I had earlier to my kids, right? And so I just did things like I was very conscious about how I talked about my body. I was very conscious about, you know, not having scales in the house, Um you know, I would always talk about strong, beautiful bodies, um, you know, how it was so beautiful to be strong and so healthy to be strong. And I would comment on other um, athlete bodies and say, wow, it's it's so beautiful to see somebody that strong or that flexible. So I, I felt like I was counteracting all that garbage that we see every single day about these stick women who are yeah. so unhealthy. I mean, the percentage of women that are stick-like naturally is so small, mm-hmm. and yet that's what's presented as the ideal. And, and we continue to look at magazines that, you know, have 18-year-old girls presenting themselves like they're 28-year-old girls. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the body that you have at 18 is very different than the body you have at 28, you know what I mean? And so I felt like at least I was doing what I could to counteract this discourse that was out there. Um, my daughter wanted to model when she was young. Um, you know, I definitely encouraged, <laughs> encouraged the sport, and I kept saying, you can do it later. And, you know, now she's at Harvard <laughs> rowing and being in school, and it's kind of too late. <laughs> oh, wow. She got, she got interested in other things, right? Um, yeah. So, so that was my little piece but um, in, in raising my kids. But, I mean, I guess I just think about 
the years that I, my, my voice was the cruelest voice on the planet kind of thing, right? And, and I would never speak to another human being the way that I spoke to myself. And, you know, the, the, the loathing and the, the hatred that I pushed towards my body, I, I mean, and, I, and I, I, I know that I am not unique in that, that so many women and girls struggle with this. So I make a point of telling people that they're beautiful and being sincere in that and by, you know, commenting, oh, I, 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 like, I love what you're wearing or I, I love your of colors or you know when somebody says something negative about their body to counteract that right away because i know that their voice is playing 10 times over Mm -hmm. the negative and i think by sharing for me a big part of how i got a healthier body image was to get a healthier sense of self and to do that deeper healing work um from from growing up in a house that you know created some real warps in my personality and as i as i began to really love myself and understand and have compassion towards myself my image of my body changed and in my inside image of my body and i love my body today and and you know i i feel so comfortable in my own skin and when i do get on a negative track you know i recognize it and go like what am i why am I talking to myself this way? This is ridiculous. Like I would never talk to my worst enemy this way. So some of it is even just recognizing it, you know, recognizing that voice inside our head. And what, what are we actually saying? I mean, I give my clients an exercise, like write down the crap you say to yourself, you know, write it down in a journal for a week, some of the crap that's in your head. And when they see it written down and they have some objectivity on it and, and we go through it together, they're like, wow. I don't want to say this to myself. Right. Right. We interviewed Mary Lou Retton last spring. And one of the things I love from the interview is that she said she struggles to this day. Like she wants to be the kind of person that when she walks into a room, she doesn't care what anybody's thinking of her. Right. Like she's just so comfortable in her skin. And that's sort of her goal, too. And you think like Mary Lou Retton, you've done everything. You know, what are you insecure about? But it's true. Like we all have something. Right. But we're all on, I mean, I think this is the thing that we recognize, and I'm sure that, um, you know, you both having interviewed now so many different um, women and so many strong, powerful women are recognizing, right, is that we're all on this human journey, and this mm-hmm. human journey um, it, it is it involves self-doubt and, um, you know, insecurity, and that's just part of being human, and that inner voice that we have, unfortunately, it often is this negative you know critic uh that's inside our head and i and and i think like just recognize that okay so we all have that even like the most accomplished people have it so how do people move beyond it right so that's the important question how do we move beyond it right and i and and i think like one recognizing that voice and realizing that you can do the things that you want to do despite the fact that you have self-doubt. Sometimes your desire to do it has to just be slightly stronger than your fear of doing it, mm-hmm. you know, or your self-doubt about doing something. You know, it might always be there. I mean, I'm sure when the two of you started the podcast, you were like, oh, I don't know, who's going to listen to us? <laughs> Why do we have anything to say? <laughs> right? <laughs> 
and, and nailed it. Well, you did. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. But but here you are, and and I and I and I think that we're all dealing with that. And so when and I, and I, what I love today is that we live in a much more open society where people are talking about their struggles. People are talking about their eating disorders and and their bouts with depression, and they're talking about the doubt that they have. Even, you know, even incredibly accomplished people like where you say like I mean when Robin Williams, right? You know, you know killed himself. I mean I think all of us were like what that's impossible and and then we come back to no in the end of the day no matter what you have no matter you know how much you've accomplished you may be dealing with demons that nobody understands and the, the more that we're open about it and the more that we can share and have these kind of conversations the more that we learn from each other and say oh well look you know sh- sh- she went to the olympics four times she did all this stuff and wow, like she had a pretty, pretty tough upbringing. You know, she struggled with her, her body image. She struggled with depression and anxiety. So I, I think there's value in itself to the conversation that we're having today. Yeah, I would totally agree. So, you know, one of the things that I, I love, you know, we were talking about um, how we've spoken to a lot of really inspiring people. And every once in a while, I get a chance to ask what their morning routines look like. And I think that that can be really interesting. So I wondered if you would share your what a typical morning would look like for you. I'll share. I'll share my morning this morning. Um, yes. You know my, which is pretty typical morning routine. I wake up about six thirty, and the first thing I do, and I started this maybe ten years ago. I, I wear mala beads on my wrist, and there's twenty seven of them, and I touch each bead, and every time I touch a bead, I think of something that I'm grateful for. So I, I begin my day being grateful. That comes before I pick up the iPhone. It comes before I, you know, get on the computer. It comes before anything. And I have noticed that it has been a pretty transforming practice. Mm. Then I jump into the shower like everybody else and, you know, you know, rush out of the bathroom. Um, and if I'm doing my workout that, that, that morning or if I'm writing or something, I might stay in the, the, the flexi clothes. And the next thing I like to do is just 20 minutes, maybe 30, of uh, yoga and meditation. And so, you know, in the, in the middle of my living room, I pull out my mat and I, you know, some days I just meditate. I, I just sit there and meditate. Uh, other days, uh, you know, I've got this little sort of yoga stretching routine, and then I finish with a 10-minute meditation, really short. Um, so by, the, by now, it's almost 7.30. I, I've had this lovely, lovely entrance to the day. Silken? Hi. Sorry. Yes. We, got lo- we got knocked off for some reason. That, that was really weird. It was just like nothing. I was, I was, yeah. I was captivated listening to you, and then it was silence. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, I have a ritual around making tea in the morning. Uh, you know, I just take my time and I choose my tea and I boil the water and I, I just try to be very present to it. Um, and I find it really relaxing. So by the time everybody else in the house, you know, arrives in the kitchen, I feel like I've already had this little piece of my day that's been peaceful. And I, I, I used to work out first thing in the morning. I'd get up really early to work out. And... I, I love that in that, you know, they, they, lots of studies have proven, you know, you're more likely to um, stick to your workout routine if you work out first thing in the morning before work and all those things. And I, and, I, and, I, and I agree with all that. But I found, for me, having that quietness for that first hour 
has been very transforming, and it's been a really great way also to connect to my creativity. Mm-hmm. So I find if I'm going to have a day of writing or, or blogging or you know wh- whatever I'm doing that's creative that morning, I have I have um, a higher level of creativity if I've started in that more peaceful way. Now, I'm like everybody else. There's those mornings where, like, I've got a, a plane to catch. Uh, right. I, you know, the kids are up early or something or somebody's got some problem and, you know, I, I kind of rush <laughs> through my morning routine, drinking the coffee while practically in the shower, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and that, 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 like I said, that's, that's life. But this is the routine that I honor probably five days out of seven. So let me ask you. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. Uh, So what are your workouts like then? Is it just the yoga or are you into anything else? No, no. So I do, I I do my workouts. I usually do them at the end of the day now. So I'll do something in the morning. So I'll do my yoga, but no, I work out pretty intensely. I, um, I I do uh, my spin bike or my bike. So I'm a, a cyclist. I love cycling and I twice a week will do anywhere between an hour and two hours with other people. And so that's twice a week. And then I go to my swim club twice a week, and that's intense as well. You know, that's a real workout um, where you get your heart rate up high. And um, and then I lift twice a week as well. So I, I usually lift on um, uh, Monday and Friday mornings. Uh, I lift around, you know, 8 o'clock, so I still have time for my, that morning routine. Um, and the other – and then Saturday uh, is, is, a, is a big day. And I try to – you know, I, I try to work out, out five or six times a week, um, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less. And when, when life gets a little crazier, it's, uh, it's less. And, and when I've got a little bit more discretionary time, it's more. Um, and I just, I, I think it's, it, it, it's so, there's elements, there's elements of my workout routine that um, I see, you know, we were sort of talking how our workout routines ebb and flows. And, I, and, and, and now having been active, for so many years, I think I have pulled out a few pearls. One of them is strength training. You know, strength training is so incredibly important for women. And it's something that so many women seem to have an aversion to doing. Um, I, I don't know where it comes from. You know, I'm going to get big and bulky. Like, you know, I like aerobics, aerobic activity because it burns more calories. And a lot of misconceptions, right? Mm-hmm. If, in fact, if you want to change your body, uh, and and build muscle in your body and burn more calories. Weight training is the way to do it. But just for life, you know, if you're not squatting and you're not lunging and you're not, you know, working your shoulders in the full range, you are going to lose those motions for everyday life. Uh, this is real stuff. We really have to pay attention to it. So it's, of course, it's about bone density. It's it's about releasing testosterone. Like it's about a lot of great hormonal um, effects of exercise, I think that's really important, but it's also about like, we want to go into our 60s and 70s and 80s being able to lift things and being able to, you know, rotate our bodies and not have our discs give out because we don't have any muscle in our in our backs, right? Yeah. And um, I, I tell you, I train with some pretty inspiring women. I, I train in the lane next to a woman who's 72 and she's, you know, she bikes three times a week and I mean I'm talking you know she goes and does two two hours on her spin trainer and she does an hour and 15 minutes in the pool and like you can still train at a very high level um, into your senior years but it's got to start like 
a lot a lot of women are not doing weights in their 40s and i just think it's a critical it's a critical mistake and um if you want to age well you also need to age strong yeah that's brilliant um i had one of my favorite things about triathlon is um i honestly love getting passed by a man or woman with an age written on the back of their calf that is much, much higher than my age. Um, I don't even feel bad about it because I'm like, you know what? That's just give, that's just inspiring me. I That just lets me know, like, I've still got a chance to to kick more butt for many more years. Um, yeah, triathlon is pretty inspiring. Some of the athletes in triathlon, like, they're just super hardcore. And you, you look at their leg and it's the 69. You're like, whoa. Yeah, I, <laughs> like, I had a, yeah, I had a guy with, I think it was like, I don't know. It was like he was 68 or something, and he passed me on a mountain bike. <laughs> and I mean, <laughs> okay, just that's like, what actually, is happening right I, now? I don't know. Was that inspiring, really, or are you just kind of putting that in perspective now? Well, <laughs> I was a little pissed at the time. I won't lie, but um, <laughs> but afterwards, I was just like, you know what? Good job, man. And I I saw him out on the run course, and um, actually, you know, didn't stop. But as I ran along with him for a little bit, I was like, dude, you are amazing on the bike, and turns out that he did he did a lot of it which makes sense because he was killing it so now i feel inspired at the time Uh, maybe (laughs) yeah and 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 i think you know you you two are both in an environment where you're you know hanging out with a lot of strong women and 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 strong personalities strong bodies and 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 it becomes what you accept i i started working out uh, in the 70s and and my first sport was running and I, i used to run around the neighborhood people still in my hometown Mississauga remember me older people remember me as that girl who ran by herself in the 70s, right? Wow. That was actually a little weird back then. And it was very normal for guys to catcall you out of their cars, mm-hmm. sometimes to pinch your butt when, when, when they cycled by or drove by or ran by. Like that, that, what, what you tolerated, right, and, and, and how – and I think now, right, and I think about my daughter going to, to school – to row and the opportunity she's been given and like there's there just no doubt that the women's rowing program would be funded and things have changed so much but what still lingers um, is this discomfort that so many women feel with um, having strong muscles and having visible muscles and uh, you know it's kind of reinforced too by the way that cl- you know clothing I feel like sometimes it's just not designed for muscles <laughs> it's like if they just put more stretch in things everything yeah (laughs) give me something in the shoulders guys that's all i need just give me some shoulders exactly so this is a big question but with everything that you have accomplished if you had to choose one shining moment that just stands out more than any other um and that can be you know as an athlete as a parent as a speaker whatever is there one that you could pick so i guess the moment I would pick was not so much my most shining moment, but a moment that showed me what is possible. So I think I had always had, since I picked up an oar, I'd always had the dream of going to the Olympics and winning a medal and, and, and maybe even winning a gold medal and doing it in a single, you know, and, and that, that was just such a motivating and inspiring dream for me to have. And, and I think I believed it on lots of levels, but there was just that part where, you know, you're, you doubt yourself. And in 19, um, 
1990 at the World Championships, I had changed coaches, I had changed teams, I had changed the environment, and I, I was ranked seventh in the world. And I went into the semifinal, so there's six votes in each semifinal, and you have to come in top three to qualify for the final. And I drew in my semifinal the world champion, the silver medalist, and the bronze medalist from the year before, like basically the whole stack, and I had to come top three. And it, the, the, the race was in, in, in um, Tasmania. I had this incredible race. I crossed the finish line first. And wow. I beat the world champ and the silver medalist and the bronze medalist from the year before. And why I also remember this moment is a, is, is a photograph was snapped this, about two seconds after I crossed the finish line. And, and literally my arms are up to the, in prayer to the sky. I had this look of utter shock and disbelief. And I remember that moment because in that moment I saw what was possible. And it's probably the moment I've come back to the most in my life because there's sort of like a before and after. How I felt and thought before and then having this breakthrough moment and then what happened after, which was I became the world champion. And I think about that in other areas of my life, right? Like what is my perception of what I can do and when will that moment happen where I realize what I really can do? Because I know it's out there for everything that I do. And I think that's true for all of us, right? We have our, like, we kind of have our, like, oh, okay, we got our dreams and we've got our goals and stuff, right? But then we're always operating with this belief system that's limiting us. And then sometimes we get this gift, this performance or this essay or this article we write and it gets, you know, and it gets accepted in a publication. We just never, we just hope that we would be accepted, but and then and then we go, wow, look what could be possible. In 2015, speaking of that, you were inducted into Canada's uh, Walk of Fame. Can you tell us what that experience was yeah. like? Chris and I are both big Canada files. I think we told you that off the air. So I, I need to hear this. <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's, it's our own Canadian version of, you know, the Hollywood Walk of Fame, but ours is in Toronto. And it was, it was a very much a Hollywood moment. It was a Canadian Hollywood moment, right? So um, I'd been the first rower inducted, and I think only the second or maybe third athlete. Like, it was a pretty huge honor. Mm. And uh, it was definitely a red carpet experience, like the fancy gold dress, and I got my hair done, and they had, like, makeup artists in your limos fixing your makeup before you got on the red carpet. And, oh, wow. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I'm an athlete. I, of course, I've, you know, been fortunate enough in Canada to, to have done many kind of high-profile things, but this was really... This was really a piece of Hollywood, um, uh, but it was a Canadian experience. And to, to Michael Bublé was inducted um, the same year, and um, to uh, Wendy Crewson, uh, who's this fabulous actress, and, and to be able to, you know, be in that kind of company uh, uh, and, and to feel like, yeah, you know, this is a club, and to hear Michael Bublé say to me, like, oh, I watched you since I was a kid, and I'm so excited to meet you, and I'm like, what? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Exactly. Exactly. And then to be on stage and, um, you know, my acceptance speech was a lot about gratefulness and love and how grateful I was for all of my life and all of my experiences, even the ones that have been so tough, uh, because 
they made me into who I am today, and I like who I am today. And, and I was so, my dad was in the audience, um, my um, daughter was in the audience. It was a very, very special experience and one I will never forget. And what an honor to have your star, um, you know, on the Canada's Walk of Fame and to be part of that really special club of people who brought honor to Canada. And, and, and I, I'm so grateful. Oh. Well, I'm not surprised to hear that that is, that's, that was the theme of your acceptance speech because that is totally what has just like poured over me through our whole conversation today is, you know, you just, you really have such a, such a wonderful energy and just a, you know, gratitude and love seems first and foremost. And I, I've loved getting to, to hear about it. I think I'm very inspired um, all around. It's been a pleasure. And we, like I said, we have so much to learn from one another, you know, and uh, I've got my story and, 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 and my path and sort of my perspectives, having lived a pretty full life, and, and other people have theirs. And, and you know, whenever I listen to uh, a podcast, especially of, uh, a, from a woman who um, has had some sort of parallel experience, I, I learn. Yeah. Yep. Well, we have one more question. It's maybe not quite as, as deep and moving as some of the others we've discussed today. <laughs> But it's something that we ask all of our guests, and that is, what was the last song that you listened to before you joined us today? I was so, I don't know if that, this is not going to be cool enough, I'm sure, but um, I listened to Diva Primo this morning um, when I did my meditation. would encourage listeners who, like, love um, music when they're doing their yoga or their meditation that is beautiful and spiritual and connected. Um, Diva Primal is amazing, and I've been listening to her. Like, I think my kids sing Diva Primal without realizing it because they've been listening to it since <laughs> they were like two and four years old. <laughs> oh, that's great. Thank you so much for being on the show today. You are a wonderful guest, and I really enjoyed talking to you as well. This was really, really special. Oh, thank you. Well, the, the feelings mutual. Take good care. Thank you. And let me also say, if you ever happen to be coming down to Sarasota for any of the world rowing um, adventures or anything, look me up. I'll, I would be more than honored to be able to, um, you know, take you for a cup of coffee or something um, or just show you the beach or whatever. Um, consider me your, your official tour your guide if you need buddy. one. And it, you know, it, it's always lovely when you travel to connect with people that you've met, even if you've only met them virtually through a, a wonderful podcast. Aww. <laughs> Love this show? Tell us why in a five-star review on iTunes, and we'll read it on the air. Also, make sure you are a subscriber. If you want to reach out to say hi or have a question about a recent episode, yay, well, feel free to email us at podcast at fitboundgirls.com. And if this podcast jives perfectly with your brand, consider sponsoring the show. Get more info by emailing advertising at fitbottomgirls.com. Find all kinds of Fit Bottom goodness online and on social media at Fit Bottom Girls, Fit Bottom Mamas, Fit Bottom Eats, and Fit Bottom Zen. And if books and movies are your thing, check out the other podcast I co-host called Book vs. Movie, which you can find anywhere where you search for podcasts. Thanks for listening.